0: Welcome back. Let's Get Physical Therapy is an educational podcast brought to you by MedStar Health and hosted by me, physical therapist, Becca Schumer. I will be sharing the mic with tons of healthcare professionals with the goal of educating and inspiring fellow PTs and future PTs. We hope you find this both informative and inspirational, ultimately optimizing how we treat our patients and grow as professionals. Please enjoy today's episode. Today on the podcast we're joined by Dr. Katherine O'Connor. She's a board-certified fellowship-trained orthopedic surgeon who specializes in the foot and ankle surgery. Her areas of special interest and expertise include foot and ankle trauma, Achilles ruptures and tendinitis, arthritis of the foot, tendinitis of the ankle, revision of previous foot surgeries and deformity correction. Dr. O'Connor believes in a collaborative approach to developing tailored treatment plans for each patient. She focuses on a holistic approach and offers her patients the complete spectrum of treatments, including non-surgical treatments, as well as surgical options to treat disorders of the foot and the ankle. She has published in several peer-reviewed journals, written book chapters, and presented at conferences in the U.S. and Canada. In addition, she was an assistant professor of orthopedic surgery at the University of Pennsylvania for five years prior to joining MedStar Health. Outside of work, Dr. O'Connor is an avid runner and cyclist and enjoys spending time with her family. As you can hear from my voice, I am a little under the weather, but the show must go on. Maybe that this actually makes my voice sound more like a radio voice. I don't know you tell me. But anyway, I'm excited to host Dr. O'Connor today. I love that she's a runner who treats runners. I know there's something about going to a doctor who shares similar interests that just makes it more fun and more enjoyable. So, Anyway, I'll stop talking. Let's go chat with Dr. O'Connor. Yeah. Dr. O'Connor, welcome to the podcast. How's it going? Good. How are you? I am good. I am happy to host you today. I love talking about running and running injuries, and I'm excited to jump into this topic with you. All right. Uh, we like to start our episodes asking your story. How did you become a doctor, and how did you get into foot and ankle?
1: Um. So I actually uh, went to college, and... Um, graduate degree in physical therapy and I was physical therapist for a few years. And then when I was working, I was sort of like, "Hmm." we were working with residents and I was like, I can do what they (laughs) do. So I decided to go uh, back to medical school. And then in medical school, I, um, you know, being a physical therapist, I'm interested in, in, you know, the musculoskeletal system. That's sort of the, as an active person, I just sort of think it's a, a very fascinating thing and, you know, helping people maintain their Mobility is, I think, what I like to do. And so in doing that, I was sort of thinking about physical medicine rehabilitation or orthopedics. And I kind of really liked operating. So I decided to go into orthopedics. And foot and ankle, I just sort of happened to fall into. One of the people I did research with as a med student was a foot and ankle surgeon. And I kind of like the diversity of what you can do. It's um you can do fractures, you can do tendon stuff, you can do big reconstructions. It's got a lot of variety in it. Um as opposed to, you know, sometimes like my joints colleagues, they kind of replace knees and they replace hips and they do variations of the same two surgeries over and over and over. Um, Whereas I get to do a little bit, you know, I can have a different OR day every day for, you know, which is a nice variety. So that's sort of how I ended up doing what I'm doing. So I'm an orthopedic surgeon with subspecialty training in foot and
0: ankle surgery. Very cool. So I I feel like foot and ankle in PT is not a very popular area, but having been through a Frank dislocation and a subsequent fusion, and then peroneal allograft reconstructions on my other side, I, the foot has a a place in my heart.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I don't know why people always don't, don't like the foot. Like it's sort of, you know, they think shoulders are, you know, in the, in the world of orthopedics, you know, shoulders and knees are really sexy. Um, and, uh, The foot is just sort of like yeah the foot, but you know ankle sprains are the most single most common injury there is. Um, and the best thing for an ankle sprain is therapy. Uh, so I don't know, you know maybe it's just routine and gets a little old, but
0: yeah, I don't know, I like it. But anyway, <laughs> so as we talked about, we're going to talk about running injuries. Um, and I know we talked about talking about stress injuries, Achilles tendinopathies. So. Let's just jump into stress injuries. When we're talking about runners, what are some common things we're seeing with runners with regards to stress injuries and what can we be aware of?
1: I mean, I think that there's, you know, running is a stress, right? So many, you could kind of define all of the injuries that associate, that happen with runners as as stress, unless somebody has like an acute fall. But, you know, um, it's a matter of your body. You know, what I tell people is, is stress injuries are every night, every day we sort of injure ourselves. And every night we go to bed and our body works to repair us. And stress injuries happen when there's an imbalance between the load and the repair. So if you sort of of do a lot of work or put a lot of stress on the system and then you don't get the recovery you need to intrinsically heal yourself, you get a deficit. And as the deficit builds and builds and builds, it turns into injuries. You know, the most best way to think of that is a stress fracture, right? Like that's the most people think stress fractures and stress fractures, super common. The most common stress fractures we see are metatarsal stress fractures. Those are relatively, those are super common. They're easy to treat. They're just, it's just usually a function of rest. Um, But you can see stress fractures of the tibia. I personally had one. You can have stress fractures of the, you know, malleoli. If there's a malalignment like there, you can get stress fractures other ways, but most of those really respond to rest. It's just that your body needs some time to catch up. You need to make sure you have you know, calcium, vitamin D, enough protein, things like that for your body to do its normal repair, right? It needs its routine maintenance.
0: Yeah. Well, when you say rest, are we, you know, with runners, it's very hard to convince a runner to stop running. So yeah. are you having conversations allowing them to do, you know, alternative things like kind of like active rest?
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I tell people, um, so, uh, I get, I mean, uh, I tell people if it, if it, Provokes symptoms. That's your body telling you, please stop, right? That's yeah. You know, oh, stop. It hurts, right? So stress with running is definitely a load, right? Like there is an impact, there is a shock absorption that needs to have. So if it doesn't hurt to bike, get on a bike and get your cardio on a bike. If and I'll even let people go to an elliptical, right? Because it's just not the same pounding. Depending on where they are in their recovery, right? I usually sort of say start. I mean, swim anytime, all right Swim first, bike usually first, because most people can't get to a pool. And then as you really feel good on a bike, progress to an elliptical. As you feel good on an elliptical, progress to walking distances. Then as you progress from walking, you progress to running, right? So there's that rest. And similarly, like if they have something and they're sort of, you know, into their recovery and making progress, I let them start weight training, right? Because that actually can be pretty good for recovery as well. And it's just not as much pounding of the pavement. Um, to uh, get a little bit of recovery that way too, right? So that they're still feeling active um, and, uh, but also are making progress at the same time. They don't feel like they're getting behind and getting out of shape because no runner likes to feel
0: out of shape. No, definitely not. When someone's dealing with say a metatarsal stress fracture, what's the typical course? How long is that usually going to take for that to recover? And when can a runner kind of expect, obviously everyone's different, but kind of expect to start running again?
1: Yeah, there's, a, right, like you said, everyone's different, right? Because some people come in and on an x-ray, they don't even have a fracture, but they're point tender, right on a metatarsal, they're running a lot, right? Like, I don't get an, you know, it's a clinical diagnosis, right? You don't have a, it's not like we get MRIs to confirm those. We get MRIs if they're not responding to rest. But um, some people sort of with two weeks, they feel better and I let them start to, my, my general rule of thumb is you have to be pain-free walking for two weeks. Then, once you're pain free walking for two weeks, then you can slowly start a slow build. And what I tell people is, is what you want to do is, you want to do like, you know, let's say you're talking to a runner who runs 25, 30 miles a week. They usually go for a five mile run, right? Like 45 minutes a day, something along those lines. I go, go ride the bike for 30 minutes and then go jog one mile, right? And do that for a few days and then jog two miles, but still get your workout on the bike and then. It's just reintroducing the stress loads and inter- reintroducing them in a controlled fashion.
0: Yeah, I think having that conversation about the load tolerance is so important. It's it's hard for patients to understand. Like that gradual progression is so important because it's the overload that got them in, in this place yeah, in the first right. place.
1: And, yeah. And what's really hard, I think what's really hard is some people right, like there are some people who just like, they can't tolerate it. And it's not their fault. Right. But like people who have like I see people who are like, oh, my God, this is like my eighth stress. fracture," <laughs> and, and there's a few things that needs to be happening. Then if you if there anybody's listening, if you've had multiple, multiple stress fractures, it's right? so only have one and then have another one like six, eight years later. But if you have them kind of recurrence, you need to sort of potentially you need to have a metabolic workup. Right. To see if your thyroid's right your testosterone's right your estrogen levels are right right you probably you might you know I have I actually just sent somebody the other day who's had like multiple stressors like you need to go see an endocrinologist to see if you need a bone health workup um and as much as I'm an orthopedic surgeon I'm actually an orthopedic surgeon um and not necessarily um don't do the metabolic workup so I send people to endocrine for that um if you have one and then it's been like eight years and you have another one, like, I think that's different than like one every season. But you also might want to need to look at, people might need to look at making sure their shoes are changed on a regular basis, making sure that they are doing strength, right? So that they're, if they need anything, okay, very rarely do I think somebody actually needs an orthotic or something like this. Um, But you can toy around with things like that. And I usually start with over-the-counter because I think over-the-counter in many ways is as good as, uh, customs, um, to at least start with. Um, but, um, yeah, it's hard for multiple stress. And it's just, there are just some people who just, I mean, one of the, truly one of the best athletes I have ever met, a personal friend of mine, phenomenal athlete, like elite level in multiple different endurance and disciplines. And she's just like, I've had like seven stress fractures. She's just like, I can't run more than three miles. Cause I just I've, she's had stress fractures of everything and she's in her forties. And so she just has slowly learned that no matter, and she's had a full endocrine workup. She's had everything done and everything's normal, but, and and people get really frustrated by that. Um, But she's sort of found other things to do, right? So she's way better on the
0: bike now than she was before. Isn't that frustrating when you just love to do something and your body's like, Nope, can't take this.
1: Right. Yeah, I know. She was, you know, I saw her, I saw her personally, like she was a friend of mine and then I saw her and she had another fibula stress fracture. And I was like, she's like, I'm supposed to be doing this like super elite selective triathlon in three weeks. And I was like, uh, maybe not. <laughs>
0: Sorry. Uh, one one thing, one thing you didn't mention was the nutrition aspect or like relative energy deficiency. Is that on your radar as well?
1: Yeah, I think it's, um, the, the biggest thing is probably making sure people are getting enough, you know, protein. Um, uh, and, you know, base, basic vitamins, minerals, right? Calcium and vitamin D. What we think about is mostly is building blocks for bone, but I think all of, you know, a multivitamin is probably good for this. I, I have sent some people for nutritional um workups for that. In medicine and in sports medicine, you know, there's the female triad, right? Um Female triad is amenorrhea, um, eating, caloric eating issues and stress fractures, right? They just like, they go to hand in hand and thin women that really exercise a ton and maybe um, don't eat enough or don't eat the right things, things like that. So I think um, that is something that, you know, I think in the current population I see right now, I see a very diverse, I'm not like just a sports, you know, I don't, everyone I see isn't 20 and super healthy. I see a lot of (laughs) 80-year-olds. So it's a little bit of a different discussion. Um, But uh, in, especially in younger Women more than men, but certainly men can have it as well. Making sure people are getting enough the calorie, right? Not to be calorie deficient, and and even if they are getting have calories, that they're getting like the protein, right? Because they gotta rebuild
0: the structures. Definitely. Anything else we missed on stress fractures reactions?
1: Um. Yeah, I think that's it. You know, you sort of the biggest thing is people need to realize when they feel something, like you know. There's there's a, there's the, there's like two there's like two two schools of things right there are people who feel something and they immediately stop and they're like oh my god and then there are people who just like ignore it till the end and it's probably somewhere in the middle right <laughs> um you know if you sort of feel it and it goes away eh, that's fine but if you sort of, if it keeps coming back and it's always the same thing it's you know it's rest is the best thing to do for anything um and diversify oh, that's, no,
0: that's, that's of, great uh, advice you know, yeah. All right, so continuing on with our common running injuries, we're going to talk about Achilles tendinopathies. These are fun to treat. (laughs)
1: Yeah, they're hard to get to go away.
0: Yeah, and I'm assuming sometimes they'll see you more acutely and sometimes they'll be more chronic. Um, What's kind of your course of treatment and what are you talking about with these runners?
1: Right, so Achilles tendinopathy, very common in runners. Um, They have looked at this a little bit. There are, you know, I think in people who, People who run, like, they might get an acute flare, like, running hills, running in sand. Um, those two things can can spur, like, an acute episode. Like, if somebody goes to the beach and they're like, oh, I went to the beach and now my Achilles is killing me. It's because you you literally have to push off more against the sand and your Achilles is working harder than normal. And same thing with running lots of hills. So those are two things that you can do that just sort of, if you do those things and you're having symptoms, back off of those. And then kind of like with everything there are people who come in and have just had symptoms for a little while and it's just a matter of stretching a little bit of immobile a little bit of rest a little bit of stretching and um doing some Achilles strengthening to get them back in and then there are people who have just been like ignoring it and running through it and they're hobbling in and like can barely walk right and those people they need real rest they need to like take weeks off um and really work on strengthening the Achilles again, and strengthening everything around it. And so, the, what what people have to do just sort of a little bit varies on the 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 amount of symptoms that they're having.
0: I think another piece to that one is runners don't often do enough strength training, kind of what you alluded to earlier. And so that kind of sets you up. Like a lot, a lot of people don't strengthen their calves. They're like, "I'm pushing off. I'm running. Doesn't that count?"
1: Yeah, no, yeah. No, and, it does not. <laughs> and, and like, listen, I'm a physical therapist and I'm an orthopedic surgeon and. I, I used to run 35 miles a week. Uh, I have two little kids right now, so now I bike a lot more. Um, but uh, I don't stretch, <laughs> right? And I know that if I did, I'd feel better, <laughs> right? So making uh-huh. sure adequate workup, warm up, and adequate cool down. And again, you can get when you're younger, you can get away with it without doing that. But as you get older, it becomes more and more important to actually do a warm up, do a cool down, and then do a stretch to sort of definitely keep yourself from getting too stiff and sore. Um, that would definitely, I mean, it's always do what I say, not what I do. <laughs> <laughs> do that though. Um, although I do do warm, warm ups and
0: cool downs now than I used to. And, Good. Yeah. You know,
1: when I get symptomatic, I stretch, but I should probably be stretching more.
0: <laughs> exactly. Yeah. yeah and with these run, like when I have a runner that has an Achilles tendon issue, like I'm typically doing some kind of dry needling, some manual, probably glute strengthening, calf strengthening, soleus. Right. Uh, just checking mobility, making sure the ankle is nice and mobile. Right. Um, from you your standpoint, do like
1: grass, you do a lot of grasping?
0: Uh, I use uh, it's instrument-assisted soft tissue mobilization grass is its own thing but right. uh i use the tools and yeah and work the the active yeah. trigger points for sure yeah uh sometimes that's more tolerated than the dry needling but usually if, if it's a runner they're gonna do whatever we will get them better the fastest
1: yeah. yeah 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 especially like you know real competitive people that are really out there uh putting in miles want to run races um yeah. yeah i think dry needling there's some there's some that's a reasonable thing to try and that's something that. I don't do in the office, but if, if there are PTs that do it, I think it's wor- It's one of those things that probably isn't going to hurt somebody, but it, it it may help. It may not. It may not help, but it won't hurt them, and it actually may make a difference just to sort of stimulate a little bit of an inflammatory response to hopefully get some healing done. So,
0: yeah, and I'm not dry needling the tendon. Like to me, like it's what attaches to the tendon that gets tight. So if I yeah. can like loosen up the stuff that attaches to the tendon and release that, then hopefully that'll put the tendon in a better place to heal. That's that's my theory.
1: Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. So any other things that you're doing with these patients uh, in clinic? Like, are you talking about shoes, orthotics, uh, heel height, that kind of stuff?
1: Um, the answer is yes and no. Um, I don't know that there, you know, there are no great, we're supposed to do, I'm supposed to do evidence-based medicine, right? There's no great evidence on any of that.
0: Yeah, that's true. <laughs>
1: Uh, I think the best, and again, like we kind of talk about, everybody's a little different, right? Some people, some people like heat and some people like ice, right? That, you know, and, and I think that what's important is that people have to sort of explore different things, right? Um, if they're like, Hey, I switched shoes and I'm trying this shoe that's different and now it's bothering me to go ahead. Well, this shoe has like a zero drop instead of a four millimeter drop, right? Like maybe that's what it is, Right. Um, uh, so making sure people know what the shoes they have are so that if they're switching shoes, they're switching it and being willing to try different shoes. Um, uh, it's cause I, you know, people like the, the barefoot running motion, uh, movement, right? Like I don't have any problem with it. I, I personally don't want to run barefoot <laughs> and, uh, but there's probably something valid to that, right? Like we were designed as a species to not wear shoes, so we should be able to run without shoes. Uh, but. We don't know whether the shoes are enhancing us or maybe they're hurting us and we don't realize it, but they're certainly preventing us from having cuts and bruises and scrapes. Uh, the um, So I think people just need to be open to trying it. And when they try it, to if you're going to try something, you have to kind of commit to it for like, not just I'm going to try it for two weeks, right? You have to sort of try it for four, six, eight weeks to sort of see how it does, if it makes a difference. And that goes from going to a minimalist shoe to like a Hoka, right? Like I run in Hoka's. And I love them and I just went to them when I had a plantar fasciitis personally and I love them and they're great, right? And I haven't thought about going back, but I've never done a zero shoe. But I've been lucky in that I've never had an injury, so I'm just sort of running
0: fingers crossed. You better knock on that wood behind you. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah,
0: yeah. When I have a runner, obviously the, the education differs whether it's an acute tendon issue or it's been a chronic issue. What how are you kind of educating your runners as well in the clinic? um as far as activity limitations and when to push what what's okay to push through what's not okay to push through depending on where they are on this tendon journey
1: yeah on the tendon journey so i actually really like an acute tendon issue because it's sort of like okay yes. this is new it hasn't right. gone bad yet let's just <laughs> shut it down nip yes. it in the bud um you don't want to rest but if you just sort of rest and let yourself get over it you'll be over it if you kind of keep going after it you're gonna drag this out um and and that's where it's hard and that people go oh i feel a little better and so they go and do stuff and then it feels a little weird right and they sort of end up in a little bit of a cycle so um that's where i think that's where i think people being open to cross training is really good right like hey listen get on the bike for the next month just this is this is flared up and in your face let it calm down do something that doesn't irritate it do some therapy work on some Achilles, eccentrics, strengthening, mobilizations, all that stuff, and just let it shut, like whether it's your perineals or your posterior tib, whatever, just before it becomes something that lingers, right? Because if it's just acutely inflamed, you might be able to just, you might get away with it and, uh, you'll be much happier while well, you'll be unhappy for the six weeks that you're like, well, it's, you know, but you might be better in the long run. Um, when things get chronic, it's harder, right? Because at that point, you do get, you know, I always describe tendons as rope. In clinical, I describe tendons as ropes, right? They're ropes. They're multiple fibers sort of literally twisted around into a um, into a tendon. And just like a rope that gets worn out, frays. That's what happens to your tendons. You get little tears, like little bits of the fibers get inflamed. Once they get inflamed, they kind of break or tear. Um, and and if that inflammation process prolongs, you you do start to get changes in the tendon itself. Um, And unfortunately, once those changes happen, they don't go away entirely, right? They have your body then says, hey, I'm inflamed and and I'm sort of fraying and I'm breaking down, I need to stabilize this, right? Like my table needs to stabilize. So then it starts to put down scar tissue. And scar tissue has a different elasticity than your native tendon tissue, right? So when people go, oh, man, I'm really stiff, like it takes me a while to warm up, it's like, yeah, exactly, because that tissue actually takes longer and takes more energy to sort of loosen its up and reaches reaches the elastic point, the same elastic point. So um, chronic things, you know, like a really bad Achilles tendonitis can be really hard to ever go away. Right, because you might have changes within the tendon that are somewhat permanent. Now, that doesn't mean you can't run, it just means that you're going to need to really focus on your warm up and your cool down and watch your mileage and cross strain and do other things to sort of keep it from getting flared up again.
0: I've seen a, obviously a handful of Achilles issues, but and some of them, the only ones that I've seen like go to surgery to get to breed it are the ones that are like insertional and. Typically it's like in an older population that I've noticed. Is that is that true?
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean like elective like sort of you know, there's Achilles ruptures, which those go to surgery, you know, if you actually just the, the, the tendon goes in one fell swoop from zero, from attached to not attached, you know, a hundred percent. Um that th- and those people can get back to running. I believe it or not, they get back to playing anything when they pair. But the chronic Achilles tendonitis. Um, there's two flavors. There's sort of the mid-substance, sort of in the middle of the Achilles tendon, sort of three inches up from the heel. And then there's the insertion in, in, in the interface between the um, tendon and the bone where they attach. And I do think that um, insertional tendonitis, and then there's also, it there is also another thing that can happen. The, the, the third flavor is The tendon actually is okay, but there's inflammation in the tissues around the tendon, right? Like people can get some reaction of the bone. They can get, there's a little bursa right on the anterior aspect of the tendon that can get inflamed, but the tendon itself is healthy. Those people are lucky. Um, (laughs) Those you can do a relatively quick debridement. People do really well with it. Um, But the true tendon pathology at the insertion of the bone does better. Um, It, uh... I probably do more sur- surgery in older people, people that are like 50s or 60s that aren't like, runners, right? Believe it or not, I actually, if I think of all the Achilles debridements I've done in my eight years in, in practice, I don't think I've ever done one on like a healthy 50-year-old runner.
0: Yeah.
1: Right? Because the, the, they're healthy and they, you know, they they really do the PTI prescribes.
0: Yes, there you go. <laughs> The only other injury we didn't, uh, I mean, common to me that I see a lot in clinic are peroneal tendon issues mm-hmm. with runners and fender yeah, fasciitis and first MTF. Uh, like now the list is coming to me of all <laughs> foot and ankle issues, but can we touch on peroneals for a quick second?
1: Yeah, peroneal tendonitis, those, um, again, Achilles most common tendonitis we see, peroneals probably next to that and posterior tib. Um, peroneals, some people with peroneals, I will say this, there is... Some people who have perineal tendonitis that actually maybe have a little bit of a st- structural, the, the architecture of their foot gives them a structural propensity for tendonitis because they're just sort of like, they're the high arch people, right? People that have a little bit of high arches, maybe run a little bit on the outside. They're working their perineals a lot to keep them from rolling in, you know. Um, and so... Uh, People like that, they may benefit from a custom orthotic and they may benefit. They're the one people who I say, hey, listen, you you go to a running shoe store and they're always like, if people need stability, they need stability. you're a pronator, you're a pronator. Like, no, you're not. <laughs> right. Uh, the person with the high arch foot, they actually need to make sure that they look for a shoe that's what what's more described as a neutral shoe not something that has a lot of medial posting and stuff like that so that they are so that the shoe isn't pushing them further out onto their side so they need to those are the only people who i actually usually give specific shoe instructions on to really make sure that they talk to a running a a person at a running shoe store that sort of says hey i need a neutral shoe like i gotta hire it's not that Um, and then it's the same as everything else right it's it's rest when it's inflamed strengthen stabilize mobilize
0: yep there you go are you using any biologics in your practice
1: Um, I don't, uh, like PRP and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, um, there's PRP has some evidence to it. It's not great anywhere. You know, it's, it's most studied in the knee probably there's some evidence for the Achilles. They like to look at it in the Achilles. Um, it's okay, but it's not amazing. Um, it's usually an out of pocket cost. So my recommendations to people, especially runners, right, right, like runners, if you have something that's just really not getting better, like not getting better, and you are, you've truly taken the time off, you've done all the rehab, it's not getting better. If you have the disposable income to pay out of pocket for a PRP, it's not going to hurt you. It may help you, uh, but it's not going to hurt you. But many people don't have the resources to, you know, and, and out of pocket is $1,400, $1, It's dollars not, It's not 100 bucks. it's $1,500, bucks, right? Um, and so, uh, if they have the means to do it, go great. Uh, I think for most people, it's not a really viable option. The people that do PRP are really trying to find a way to, to really want it to work more than I think it's evidence supports it. Um, and there's some, you know, okay, well maybe this works like, but it's hard to know. So I, I don't push it on people, and we don't offer it at our at my practice. I actually, no place I've worked has offered it.
0: Yeah, I know. I've seen a handful of patients who have had it done, and unfortunately, there's like this misconception that you're going to get this shot and magically you're going to wake up and feel better. But really, it's restarting the whole injury process, kind yeah. of all over again. Yeah yeah.
1: yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. So stepping back from biologics, can yeah. we talk about anti-inflammatories and? When you might prescribe something over the counter versus prescription, maybe like Voltaren gel is very popular now.
1: Yeah, um, Voltaren gel, great if it's you know topical local, great place to start, right? You don't have good systemic effects that does its job. Um, I usually have people go to, um, you know, start with simple ibuprofen. I actually sometimes t- say a leave just because it's just once a day dosing or twice a day dosing. Um, the, that usually does it if it's a really acute flare up and they're actually seeing me like if it's bad enough they're seeing me sometimes i do ibuprofen 800 which is prescription strength strength which is you know four 200 which can buy up a counter um uh but you have to just be careful that people don't have you know bleeding issues or gi or kidney issues uh to, to do that um and uh sometimes i use mobic it's a once a day i don't know that it's as good but i think naproxen does a pretty good job i actually tell a lot of people Like, if it's acute, if it's an acute problem, I love to tell people to just take an ice bath, right? Like, just drop your foot in a bucket. It's great for anti inflammatories. It's really uh for acute things for acute injuries that's a really nice way to help with sweat, like with swelling with pain control and with anti-inflammation if you can do that like twice a day for six, 5 6 minutes just get a really good ice bath um in an acute ankle sprain or you know you're running you just catch an ankle or your ankle really uh, or you just sort of really you felt yourself tweak your Achilles at the time um i think that's a good way to sort of just again nip things in the bud
0: definitely yeah i'm i'm, ca- I'm calling out the runners to come in they're like you know before i run x miles like i pop an advil to oh. get to get me through it is there any validity to like popping one dose like randomly i don't know i
1: don't know. <laughs> I mean i think i every once in a while i do tell people you know like i definitely so when people see me i go like after ankle fractures and stuff i go maybe you want to take the ibuprofen before you go to physical therapy right just because they are going to actively be doing something that's going to cause you to be maybe inflamed so there's the theoretical uh Benefit of it makes sense, whether again not actually has been studied uh, to say hey you should do this or you shouldn't do this, and then at the same time like it, the, the the cognitive exercise of being like well if you have to be taking an ibuprofen to complete this five mile run, right. should you be uh, should you be uh, doing this? And so it's you know you
0: know yeah that's fair fair question
1: yeah. yeah. Ask yourself that. How, how yeah. important is this running to you? Uh,
0: uh, unfortunately, most would say very, very important. Yeah. <laughs> Last kind of topic that we had talked about. Uh, there's a lot of, like, stigma about it being bad for your joints to run.
1: Oh, so, so that that actually people have looked at. Yeah, it's not as bad as people think it is. It's not. Like, it's never, you know, they... Um, God, I can't remember the, the specifics, but I, I actually recently... I feel like I recently read something on this that they never that they haven't totally found a a direct correlation to mileage and like arthritis Like like oh my you know what we do know is is that if you've had an injury right and this is probably more related to knees than ankles but certainly ankles too uh and anything but like um if you run a lot on a knee that's ruptured their ACL, right? Or you run a lot on a knee that has a meniscal underlying injury, right? The the, the normal biomechanics aren't right. So you may have a predisposition to inflammation, cartilage wear, um, and things like that, because just you, you don't have a normal knee anymore. And while you have a knee that functions well, it's still not as quite as precise as it was. So, that may be a predisposing factor for it. That if a lot of running on a knee that's had an injury may predispose that knee to things. But in an otherwise healthy person who's had no known injuries, no malalignment, you know, it doesn't have a deformity, which um, you would sit down the foot maybe more than the knee, um, that they don't necessarily have any propensity to develop. And, you know, and everybody thinks, oh, you're going to get arthritis. And it's like, you know. The running itself might not do it. An injury you sustain may predispose you to it, but the running and the, the running after that injury, but just, just running uninjured, people actually do pretty fine. Cardiovascular yeah. benefits and all that are probably outweighed.
0: Yeah, no, I, I, I love the research coming out, talking about, yeah, I mean, there's this misconception that you're going to get early onset arthritis by running.
1: My knee pain is from the, like, four or five times I have just tripped and landed, tripped running and landed <laughs> straight on my knee, right? Yeah, like, that's exactly. what caused my knee problems, not the running.
0: Exactly. Last question I have is just r- with regards to imaging, like, when, what's your threshold to order an x-ray versus an MRI versus a CT scan or ultrasounds?
1: Yeah, so... I mean, I think x-rays are easy, right? X-rays are easy and they're cheap and they can identify major, right? They can identify arthritis, right? Like, or a fracture, depending on the type of injury you think you sustained. Um, and as orthopedic surgeon, we kind of, everybody gets an x-ray because it's it's a great scanning test. Now, many times I get an x-ray assuming that it's going to be negative and then it comes back and it's negative and I go, well, that's what I figured. Um, as for advanced imaging, right, then you get into, well... I say this and I mean this, orthopedic surgeons, we actually don't have a lot in our toolbox, right? <laughs> we're, we're, everybody's like, oh, orthopedic surgeon. Well, we don't. So, um, soft, so if you have sort of like, there's two different reasons to get an acute MRI, right? The next step is usually MRI. CT scans are for evaluation of bone. So, unless there's a reason to think there's a fracture, usually it's not a CT scan. Um, for soft tissue things, meniscus, tendon, patella tendonitis, posterior tibia Achilles tendonitis. For the non-operative management of all of those things, always starts with therapy, right? Our non-operative management toolbox is actually somewhat limited. It's anti-inflammatories, it's rest, it's immobilization, so bracing, orthotics, things like that, and then it's therapy. It's like so that's that's what you try. The non-operative things, whether you get an MRI that says, hey, you have Achilles tendonitis or you don't have Achilles tendonitis, the non-operative things are the non-operative things for for soft tissue issues. Um, And the MRI doesn't change that, right? So what the MRI, I think, is for, and a lot of people go to their primary care physician and they say, oh, oh, I'm having knee pain, and they get an MRI and it shows a meniscus tear. And, And if you were to go to an orthopedic surgeon Without doing that, we'd say, well, the statistically speaking, the most likely thing you have is a meniscus tear. Um, and whether you have it or you don't have it, we're going to start with therapy. For anything that, that's sort of like that low grade, lingering, it's been going on for three, four, five months, you didn't have a trip or a fall, things. Then there's the things that are sort of like, hey, I was running yesterday, and I tripped, and I twisted my knee, and now I can't bend my knee, right? That's a different animal than the low grade, been going on for a while, atraumatic pain, low grade atraumatic pain that's been going on for a while That's soft tissue, that's going to always, almost always be therapy and imaging to use at the point where if it responds to therapy, awesome, great. If it doesn't respond to therapy, then go, okay, well, how bad is whatever is going on there? And is it helps us make a decision whether surgical management is an option. In the acute onset soft tissue thing, right? So there's acute onset soft tissue. I trip, I fall, and now I, my knee is locked. You need an MRI to say, hey, it, do you have a bucket handle MRI I meniscus tear? Right? In an MRI, you need that for an acute, an acute traumatic trauma that causes a distinct impairment uh, that needs advanced imaging more quickly. So for most sort of routine, like, oh, I've been having this heel pain for you know the past five six weeks, but it's been there and I I can still run and I can still do stuff, but it's just sort of annoying or it's sort of bothering me. That's going to almost always be first management conservative with immobilization, bracing, therapy, NSAIDs, stuff like that. And then the
0: advanced imaging is for decision-making on extent of disease and surgical options. What do you do for that runner? Because I've had a handful and I'm sure you have to experience the person that's like, I just need to know, like, I need to see a picture of it.
1: Yeah, I, uh, I really, try. <laughs> I, I, uh, <laughs> I, I, can usually, I think most people, when you explain it to them, be like, hey, listen. This is what it is. It's a soft tissue issue and soft tissue issues like the management, the conservative management is this. And usually actually if you say we only get the MRI to decide about surgery, most people actually don't want surgery. So they're like, oh, oh, hold on. Um, so uh, it's not that often that I get that much pushback when I say, no, we don't need it yet. You know, we need it after the PT doesn't work.
0: That's good. Yeah.
1: Yeah. But a lot of people, most people come in asking. And you have to sort mm-hmm. of educate them about the fact that it's not going to change what the initial conservative measures are and do that. And if it's not, if you're not responding to the conservative measures, then let's,
0: then we do them or I decide where to go. Yeah. Makes sense. As we start to wrap up, is there anything else we didn't cover with regards to foot and ankle and, and runners that you wanted to chat about?
1: Everybody always asks me about orthotics. Um I think that they're like i said earlier i think it's reasonable i i don't think orthotics are bad and i think that actually there are many over over time i think over-the-counter orthotics have gotten better um i uh you know i think Superfeet make okay ones i think new balance actually makes some nice ones um you know spanko has been around for forever they're fine they're you know those are the three companies the most uh, uh, most common ones i think that um I would always try a custom, uh, an over-the-counter before I'd go to a custom because most people actually don't have like such a uniquely, you know, a custom orthotic is really good for someone who has some sort of deformity or has an alignment issue. Like that's where you really need something custom. That being said, if you try over-the-counter ones, they're just not working, then go to a custom because custom ones aren't cheap, right? They're $600, $800 and out of pocket your insurance may cover them it may not depending on what your benefits are now if you have an HSA you can use your HSA to buy your orthotics right um uh for younger health or younger healthy people who are runners may have an HSA so they might actually be be able to get an orthotic more easily but I think it's always worth trying over the counter ones first um and that's sort of what my feeling on orthotics are
0: yeah that's that's helpful Cool. Well, as we wrap up, we love to end our episodes asking your favorite quote. Do you have a favorite quote that moves you, drives you, or inspires you?
1: I'm not particularly into quotes, but I heard this one the other day that I really like it. Uh, and I am—I um, actually really like it. Uh, it's a, uh, oh God, hold on, I have to think of the wording. A goal without a plan is just a dream.
0: Yep. Heard that one. That's a good one.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's like, yeah. Oh, oh, oh yeah. I want to do this. Well, okay. How are you going to actually do it? Like,
0: yes. What to, are the steps?
1: Yeah. Right. Like, Oh, I'm going to do this. But if you don't, it's yeah. A goal without a plan. is just a dream.
0: That's a good one. Awesome. Yeah. Dr. O'Connor, where can people find you?
1: Uh, so I am located, I see people in three different places. So I am uh home base out of MedStar Montgomery in only Maryland I have office hours there, and that's generally where I operate out of. Uh, I also see patients, and I can operate down in Brandywine, down by Andrews Air Force Base. And I, lastly, we have a new office that just opened up on the 270 corridor. Um, it's right off of where 270 meets the ICC, right near the Rio and the Crown. In uh, though it's right, it's right off of Muddy Branch Road. So you just get off the highway, and it's one block off of uh, a block away from the Crown. So there's a um, new office there where I'm seeing patients, and then we have hand sports. it's a a full service office there's somebody from every every
0: all the disciplines there as well so that's new that's only been open for about four or five months awesome well this has been an amazing conversation thank you so much for your time we appreciate it
1: yeah thanks anytime any any runners i like i said i i used to run a lot now i run like three days a week not six (laughs) that's that still counts i look at my
0: mileage and i go oh Thanks for listening to the Let's Get Physical Therapy podcast. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast and follow us on Instagram at MessarhealthPT. If you've enjoyed today's episode, please give us a five-star rating and leave a review so we can reach more listeners just like you. As always, we appreciate your time and hope you join us for our next episode.